doubt there were a few Gentiles, people who were outsiders to the promise of God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the law and the Torah, but were, were impacted by the Spirit and heard Peter's message and go, okay, that's what I've been hungering for. That's what I've been longing for. And so they were added in as well. And Luke goes on to describe the, this new entity, this new, um, well, ecclesia, this, this gathering for a purpose. And he describes them like this, verse 42. They, this is, this is these new converts to Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Just flick the page over to um, chapter 4 and verse 32. And again, Luke sort of breaks off to, to have another sort of descriptor of the church, which complements what we've just read. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Short prayer, just asking God to take that descriptor of them there then to apply it to us here now. Father, we read of this this is, the, this is the early church. This is the emerging church. And we stand in its uh, two millennia of tradition. Take us back, Lord, to the kind of raw and edgy, new, courageous, risky elements of this group of people. Lord, impress upon us today the, the, the heart and the character and the spirit. It impress on us their intention their priorities. We want in some way our priorities to resonate with theirs so that you would grace us, that you would add to our number daily those who are being saved, that onlookers to us would remark in as favorable a way as Luke does to the church in Acts then. Teach us, challenge us, inspire us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the start we've got, there are six uh, members of staff, two part-time, four of us full-time, and we met together with the PCC, that stands for the Parochial Church Council. It's the elected leadership body 
of the church. We meet, we have an annual meeting around about sort of April time. And everyone who's a member of the church uh, on the electoral roll, uh, you vote for those who are willing to stand. So it's, it's, the, it's where the church is at its most dem- democratic. Um, I'm not an autocrat. I'm, I'm licensed to lead this church, but I'm, I'm required by canon law to lead in cooperation with the PCC. That's the wording. <laughs> and the PCC are your representatives. So uh, j- just so you know. Um, and if you want to know who they are, you can, if you jump on the website, you can see all their beautiful faces. Uh, they're the people to see. If you're, uh, you think something's going brilliantly, just let them know, encourage them. If you're unhappy about something, talk to them. Or Francesca's uh, and Simon Warren is one of our wardens, the other warden as well. They're the kind of shop steward of the PCC. Um, and uh, so the PCC 15 and the staff team 6, we went away for this 24-hour retreat in, in uh, October. And it was to kind of get to know one another, but ostensibly it was, it was also to spend time out of London, just defragging, chilling, to tune into the Lord and to tune into one another and what the Lord was saying through one another with a view to 2018. Lord, what is it that you kind of desire? for us as a church, to grow us more and more into your likeness, for us to be more and more effective as we look to reach out to um, colleagues and neighbors and friends. And uh, there was lots of flip charts and post-it notes and, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we've got one or two people who work as consultants who are on the PCC. So you can imagine it was, it was busy in that way. Uh, it was beautifully and skillfully chaired and led, and we managed to funnel it down towards the end of the day, soaked in prayer, funnel it down to these four priorities. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read them out to you. We're, we're, gonna, we're in the process of working them out, so they'll be on a big poster at the back. Uh, and um, uh, So here they are. Number one is to commit to prayer and to the practice of the prophetic. To commit to prayer and to, to practice the prophetic, to that's, that's an intention. That's a priority for us, to hear God. Number two, and this is in no, not order of importance, just, it's just as I read them. Number two is to create and maintain an annual rhythm of discipleship. To create and maintain an annual rhythm of discipleship. We do our part as a leadership to, to navigate us through the year, sort of preparing for Lent, or maybe there's Easter or Pentecost to celebrate. Uh, as we work towards the festivals like harvest, as we prepare through Advent and Christmas and, and uh, round we go. So there's a kind of corporate element, but for us individually, how are we looking to speak into the lives of others? Are we allowing others to speak into our lives? So that's, that's a priority for us this year. And we're going to speak into each of these. I wanna, I'm going to speak on this third one today. To pursue and deepen authentic friendships with one another to pursue and deepen authentic friendships with one another. And the fourth one is to engage with our local community (coughs) in Parsons Green. To engage with our local community in Parsons Green. So prayer and the prophetic, discipleship, friendship, fellowship if you like, and um, the local community. Most churches you'll find will, will, will kind of, it will distill down to activity and attention up as it were, in worship, in fellowship, friendship, pastoring, out, evangelism, sharing the faith, mission, up, in, out. And that's kind of reflected 
in those priorities. So it's not, it's not rocket science, it's not, it's not revolutionary. It, it's just that we, we sense before God as a leadership, this is where we want to be intentional in these four ways. So I want to talk today about pursue and deepen authentic friendships in one another. There it is, we'll keep it on the screen. That's, that's one of our priorities as a church this year. So if you're, if you're new or thinking of joining in with us, you're joining in with a church that is looking to do this. And I, I kind of offer this to you as part of the leadership. I, I hope, we hope, leadership, that what we've prayerfully discerned from God sits with you, resonant, you'll, you'll come with us. It's not just that the leaders will do this and we'll kind of watch. Uh, we, we want to uh, join in, we want to play our part in deepening, and pursuing and deepening authentic friendships <coughs> with one another. Because the early church did. That, that's what we read in the early church. Look at Acts 2 and verse 42. Luke describes these, these guys kind of thrown together. 3,000. <laughs> what are we? We're maybe about 100, 100. I don't know. I'm no good. We're about 100 here. So, so 30 times this number here suddenly thrown together. Whoa, I mean, chaos, bedlam. And, and fairly quickly, Luke is describing some characteristics about this brand new, edgy, risky movement. They're, they're devoted. That's just, just that. They're, they're clearly devoted. They're intentional. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and to fellowship. One of their priorities, one of their characteristics is, is one of the things we want to lean into. Fellowship. Like intentional friendship one with another. They pursued and deepened their friendships one with another. And, and Luke goes on, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And we read in, uh, in chapter 4 and verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. I don't believe that that was just, Luke is describing a happy coincidence. Oh, how, how wonderful. This, this gathering of 3,000 that the Lord is adding to daily, 3,010, 3,050, 3,100, 4,000, 5,000. As this church grows, I don't, I think it's just, oh, what a coincidence that they happen to be of the same heart and mind. Phew, that makes life easy. I, we, if you read the New Testament, read the letters, any of the letters, most of them, Paul, Peter, they're addressing issues, they're addressing difficulties, they're addressing conflict, they're addressing niggles, first letter of the Corinthians is just one great telling off. They had to work at these relationships. When Luke describes a church that is one in heart and mind, that has come together, that is devoted to fellowship, he's talking about an intention. There was something that, that compelled them to do this. It wasn't just that they happened to get on. Elsewhere, Paul describes the church in Galatia and Ephesus as, as being Jew and Gentile, male, female, 
slave-free. People coming from radically different backgrounds, radically different contexts, radically different cultures and assumptions and values and nuances, all coming together. And he celebrates that you are all one in Christ. This is a brand new thing. And Luke here is saying that this brand new thing, with all its different constituent parts, devoted itself to, among other things, fellowship. I I venture to suggest that that what we feel the Lord has given us as as the leadership in this priority is, is kind of straight out of what he must have impressed and inspired the early church with. That as then, so now, pursue and deepen authentic friendships. Authentic friendships. Let me just, uh, I want to throw in some, just some recognitions and some practicalities. It is virtually impossible to have an authentic friendship with a hundred people. It's virtually impossible to develop a friendship with one person in a context such as this, where there's lots of people, and at the end, even though there's space and there's time, and we, I, I never want to kick you out, you, you hang and chat for as long as, uh, and talk, and, and actually begin to develop a friendship. But the reality is, to that time-honored question, hi, how are you? The, the reality is that we, in, our, in our kind of culture, I'm, I'm generalizing slightly, but in our kind of middle-classness, to the question, how are you? The answer is, I'm fine. We all know the rules. We play the game. How are you? I'm fine. And what we're doing subtly there, I mean, just a little bit of sort of pop psychology, is we're just, we're reading the body language and the, we're reading all the subconscious cues. Because if someone, hey, how are you? And they go, I'm fine. And then you just see a little tear begin to emerge in the air. You, you probably, you pick up a little clue. And then you've got to work with them. Now, what am I going to do that in a public space? I haven't got much time. You're about to cry. Am I equipped to deal with that? What's going to... And so you... Well, good luck on what you do with that. (laughs) All I'm saying... What I'm I'm trying to say is this probably isn't the ideal space or context to pursue and deepen authentic friendships. But it's a good place to start. The reality is... And it, it bleeds into one of the other priorities, to create and maintain an annual rhythm of discipleship. The reality is that as we plug into a life group, or we get involved in a triplet, uh, we meet people maybe from a similar profession, or have got a similar interest. Uh, and, and that won't just happen, we'll have to pursue it. But as we pursue those friendships, look to deepen those friendships in other contexts where it's more appropriate to express emotion or or really take time to invest in where people are at so that we can really hear them, really receive them, really pray for them, and then for us, our church will grow. I believe it will grow numerically because why would you not, in in an isolating city like this, why would you not want to join it? Where where people come in and immediately they can see there is genuine friendship here. There's authentic friendship. Beyond the, how are you, I'm fine, thanks. Which I understand, I don't mean to diss that. In in this kind of context, that's the sort of way we play it. But if that's all we do, it'll it'll just be like snacking all the time. It'll be like living on cheese and biscuits and nothing else. It will kind of get you through, but you'll just feel hungry and kind of 
not energize. A, a good diet of relationship begins with the, hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. But looks to pursue, looks to deepen to authentic, authentic friendship, honest friendship. I love hearing about um, groups, maybe a life group, might be a triplet, might be uh, just two or three people meeting up, buddying together. Where actually, since I've mentioned tears, where someone's cried, someone shed a tear. Uh, because to me that says, okay, that, we've, that, that grouping or that, whoever it is, that is, you've, you've gone beyond the how you, I'm fine, thanks. And you've, it, somehow it's been sort of mutually agreed, even if it's a little bit difficult or awkward, you've mutually agreed that it's okay for you to shed a tear. It, it's okay for me to share that and to be received and welcomed. I often find groups have grown stronger almost as soon as that has happened. There's been a kind of a, a bond. Authentic friendships. And it comes through intention. Can I, um, a little alert here, I'm going to use Fulham Football Club as an analogy. Uh, I'm a season ticket holder with my son, Luke. And uh, so I go and watch pretty much every home game. And um, I've been watching them now for, for uh, too long. <laughs> They're kind of in the championship. Um, and before Christmas, they were, if I'm honest, they weren't playing very well they were losing a few home games um, it, it, it was it was not it was not too easy to watch um, <coughs> and it kind of translated to, you know you could see it in the when you're going to watch live sport I suppose you don't really pick it up on the telly but if you watch any live sport and so watch football live you can watch that you can see the body language you know off the ball the cameras wouldn't pick it up but you can just see the shoulders droop slightly and you can sense it in the crowd the crowd is kind of a bit is despondent. The moans, and you can hear the sort of, mm, the collective sigh. Here's the thing. This is, this is how it became a, an analogy for my sermon. Because we played Ipswich about two weeks ago. And um, we went one nil down. And there was the, just the collective sigh. Ipswich are lower than us in the table. And we go, oh, here we go. And then... We're watching them play. And there's something about the 50-50 challenges. They're, there's an intent. They, they're going. They're looking to win the 50-50 challenges. Some of the people are making those anticipatory runs off a knockdown. The ball comes in the header, and I'm anticipating that I'll get it. Or people are making runs. They're looking for the pass. There was an intentionality about the team. It, it starts with Tom Kearney, fantastic midfield. But he kind of, he spreads. He's the captain. He starts, come on, guys, you can see. And he's starting to energize. And those 11 guys in the white shirts, it spreads to the crowd. And we can see that they're, they're, they're kind of looking to they equalize. Uh, spoiler alert, go to the end. We won 4-1. <laughs> and and th there was a moment where I thought, even though we're not winning, we're going to win this. Why? Where, where are the lowly little fan in the stand? Where do I get that from? From what? There was an intention. The thing is, the intention was infectious. Because the, the crowd start to get out. We start to cheer with a bit of conviction. And that creates a virtuous circle. Because as we start to cheer with conviction, the players, the players sense that. So we'll go for that challenge. We'll make that run. We'll try for it. We'll, we'll, we'll make an effort. We'll do it. We'll go for it. And that feeds back on the fans. Come on, Fulham. Come. 2-1. 3-1. 4-1. We start chanting, we want five. Who do we think we are? 
It's that word, intention. They were, they were, they were looking to pursue a victory. Having got more goals, they were going to deepen the misery for Ipswich. Just, just even in this, as I've been talking about, shame myself really, do I get this excited about Jesus? As I've been talking about Fulham, can you, you can see in my body, I've come forward, I'm alert, I'm alive, I'm excited about talking about Fulham. And you've responded, you, you're maybe not aware of it, but I'm just watching, you kind of just sit up, you're, it's a story, Tim's on about something, I don't know what it is, but he's on about something, I'm, and you lock in. Though I've created a little, little sort of energy thing, even in the last two or three minutes. What would it take for us as a church to generate the same kind of energy, that same kind of virtuous circle with regard to our authentic friendships as a church? It, it starts with the equivalent of the first 50-50. Am I going to go for that tackle or not? one little element in the game but if I go for it I might encourage my fellow players to go for it and as more of us go for it more will notice and as more notice it becomes the, the culture everyone starts to cheer for this and so it encourages even more translation <laughs> there's lots of people I could speak to who I already know kind of have I just stepped back to see if there's anyone here who isn't talking to anyone, who appears to be on their own? Will I, will I go to them and begin to demonstrate what it is to pursue, with a view to deepening, authentic friendship? How did this happen in the early church? How is it that Luke can say they devoted themselves to fellowship? Or if we were to use our phraseology, that they pursued with a view to deepening authentic friendship amongst themselves. Verse 46 of chapter 2. He just describes this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There's intention right there. It was a new thing to meet together in this way, in, in the name of Jesus Christ, died, raised again, ascended, seated at the right hand, pouring out his spirit to bring us together. That, this was a new thing. The, the Jews were used to going to the temple to make sacrifice, but that's not what they were doing now. So they, they've, they've had to break pattern. They've had to do a new thing. We used to do this, now we're doing that. And the Gentiles, it wasn't their practice at all. It's probably one of the reasons why they had to meet in the courts and not any further, because the Gentiles weren't, this is a new thing, they're not Jews, I don't know what you're doing, who you think you are, but you've got those guys with you, so you're not coming in. Okay, well, we'll meet out here then. They meet to worship Jesus as Lord. If you look at a Roman coin of the day, it says Caesar is Lord. In fact, Caesar means God. Augustus Caesar, that's not his surname, it's just Augustus, God, to be worshipped. Emperor worship, it's a big thing. Don't forget, Israel at the time is under Roman occupation. You do stuff Romans, Rome's way. 
the emperor is Lord. How do you think the emperor feels about hearing that there's a new gathering of people, several thousand, and they're worshipping someone else as Lord, not just any old. They're worshipping the guy we got rid of, we, the, the upstart. Jesus the rebel, men, Jesus the holy one with the oclay in thing for all those with the white horse. The crowd. It was risky. It was risky. They had to be intentional about meeting together in the temple courts. That's why so many of the early Christians were carted off to their crucifixion or to the lions. Because essentially it's because they bowed the knee to Jesus and that means they wouldn't bow the knee to whoever the emperor was. Nero, Augustus, whoever it was. So in the dozens and hundreds. Some of the early historians describe how as they were carted off to the lions, they were singing praises because they, they knew they were that much nearer to meeting Jesus again. Are we, are we intentional about meeting together? Be it on a Sunday, be it midweek, if we're involved in one of the courses or part of a life group or meeting during the day to pray with one or two others, early morning, burning man for the guys coming to the women's event. I'm going to come, in a sense, almost whether I feel like it or not, I'm, I'm going to do that for the sake of others because I could begin to pursue and deepen an authentic friendship that way. They, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And then Luke describes this. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They broke bread in their homes. Jesus just called his mates together for supper. We know it as the Last Supper. But at the time, it was, it was supper in Passover. There was bread there. He broke it. He said, when you do this, remember me. So they gathered together with the intention of remembering Jesus over a meal. Friendship with one another as they remembered Jesus. We could say, as they talked about Christian things over food. That's how Luke describes their devotion to fellowship. I've shared this um, message at the 8.30 and at the 10.30. At the 10.30, I, I challenged them. I recognize that there's slightly different applications because most of the 10.30 uh, live in their own home, whether they rent it or, or have bought it, but it's, they live exclusively within it. They're, they're not probably, most of them, families, kids, so probably not sharing with others. I recognize for many of us here, we've perhaps got a, we share a, you know, got a room or something, we've got a shared occupancy, and not necessarily with um, other Christians or, or um, uh, members of this church. As so I recognize the, the call to, um, to hospitality, to have invite others into your home is, is challenging here in a way that maybe it isn't at 10.30. Just so you know, this is what I said to 10.30. I, I told them... Um, I kind of, you know, gave them a bit of a sort of between the eyes. Because uh, when Pat Allerton, many of you will know, was uh, associate vicar here and uh, single guy, um, and was in a relationship, but he was, you know, essentially a uh, single guy and uh, shared a house with another guy, but he was essentially living on his own. And um, uh, he said, with no sort of edge or anything, he just remarked to me about nine months in, he said, I must admit, I'm a bit surprised that no one's invited me to Sunday lunch. 
And actually, if you think about those of us who remember Pat, he was, he was fairly socially engaging, wasn't he? <laughs> Would it be fair to say? <laughs> I mean, he's not like, oh, gosh, I suppose we ought to have Pat to lunch. You know, it wasn't, it's not like you'd be short of, he'd play with your kids, he'd chat. I mean, that would be quite an easy invite. And I must admit, I assumed that that was happening. I just assumed that. And I put it to the ten there. I said, maybe you were assuming that everyone else was inviting him. And please, this isn't a sort of, you know, invite the vicars. Uh. <laughs> <coughs> I'm just, as a, I, but I said to Teddy, so that kind of went. I mean, it may be that we were assuming everyone else was. But let me just say, no one was. It kind of wasn't happening. Now I know there's, you know, there's something about a home and uh, speaking as a parent, particularly when our kids were younger, you, you, you feel a bit exposed to how are they going to behave, they're going to, you know, that kind of thing. We, after a while, Joe and I, we just thought, oh, we're just, it's almost certain that one of our guys is going to kick off in some way. So uh, let's forget, we'll, what we'll do, we'll, we'll have this as a ministry. So we used to invite people around just so that they could leave going, wow, we're not the worst parents in the church. <laughs> Uh, and we, it, was, it was a little bit humbling, and um, everybody, but it was, it, we thought, well, we'll bless people that way. They'll, they'll go away thinking, at least we're better than them. Um, uh, so I recognize there's a risk. I recognize there's a vulnerability. There's something about our house and our home. Uh, that's perhaps more 10.30. I'm recognizing it with the five. For many of us here, we, we don't necessarily own our home. We share it with others. We, we don't get to have the ultimate say on who we might invite. But there are plenty of ways in which we could do the equivalent. Suggest that you get a relatively cheap deal at Coates. You can get the kind of, you know, two, de- two things for 10 quid, which I know it's 10 quid, but in relative terms, that's not bad. Is it? I think that's quite good. Uh, it's just up the road. You, you, you could suggest, could you, that two or three others, why don't we just grab a table at Coates or even if it's just a coffee and a scone at Le Pan or something. To, 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 to break through that, I'm just in my little isolated bubble. To, to break out of that, to pursue with a view to deepening authentic friendships, relationships. We've got the weekend away coming up. Can't wait. Can't wait for that. It's not too late if you haven't yet signed up to come along. Because what an opportunity to meet others and allow others to meet you, to befriend and to be befriended. It, it's hard, like I said earlier, in this context, how are you, I'm fine, thanks. But over the whole weekend, there are opportunities within just off the back of worship or in the ministry time or as we go for a walk around the grounds or we're just chilling in the foyer or in the bar in the evening. There are lots of opportunities to pursue and deepen authentic friendships. I, I often say we do six months worth of church in a weekend. And, and part of what I mean by that is, is six months worth of what it takes to develop a friendship can be accelerated on a weekend. If you're not coming, I, I, know, I, know, I know a number of you it, it can't come for all sorts of reasons, but if you haven't got those all sorts of reasons and you're still not coming, why not? You, you, you will miss out on an opportunity to press into this value, this priority, to, to pursue and deepen authentic friendships. The, um, the All Together, Francesca talked about earlier, it's in March. And uh, I might, let, me, let me just say this, because it's, it's kind of out there. The, I know there is a sort of mentality that thinks, oh, brilliant, it's a day off church. There's no five, because we all meet at 10.30, and that means I'm going to have to get up early and 
come to church in the morning? Uh, oh, I'll forget that. I'll go and see what's happening at HDB or St. Paul's or, or somewhere else. Uh, and I, uh, yeah, I, I haven't got... <laughs> One of the things I'm realizing in this game as a leader is I've got no control over you guys. I can't tell you what to do. Um, but I, I would love us to see the all together. We only do two a year because familiarity breeds contempt. I recognize we did it all the time. It'd be, but just twice a year, lunch provided. And, and it, just, it just plays into this. Because as Francesca was saying, you can meet your spiritual mums and dads and aunts and uncles. Uh, you can meet guys who are just a little bit further down the track, not necessarily spiritually. Actually, there's some quite young Christians at the 10.30. But hey, they've been running a business for 10, 15 years. Or they've made that monumental decision to spend the whole of the rest of their life with one person. And not only that, to have three little offspring. Uh, how did you get your heads around that? H- how do you have three children and stay sane? Hold down a job? Uh, have a life? We, we can you know, learn of those guys, and they get inspired. They love just the energy. They, they, they are just so excited to think that they're it. there are young people who are excited about church. Because they think, they come to the 1030 and think they're the young people, because they look at me. And they've got no idea there's even younger people coming to church. Wow, that's so exciting. So if we can put this together, imagine the richness as we pursue and deepen those friendships across the age spectrum, so that we can be even more authentically church of young and old and rich and poor and black and white and living near and living far and all the different differences coming together in an, af- or in an authentic way that, that means that Christ is real and present amongst us. It will come as we're intentional to pursue and deepen relationships with one another. Let me sh- share something that I was with a group of um, leaders from amongst us the other day, and we were uh, just having a meal together and, and uh, chatting, leaders from this church. I won't mention names, but um, two people from uh, I- at that gathering, both as we were talking, just shooting the breeze on the church and kind of looking ahead to 2018 and, you know, talking about this kind of stuff. And they both, and these are two people, I'm so glad they were honest and real to, to, to share this. They're two people that from my perspective, I know them quite well and I would have said that they were rooted in our church they, they were they were right at the sort of center of our church I mean they have they, they have um, volunteer leadership positions and they both said that actually they can often feel quite lonely amongst us and they can often feel like do I do I who do I I don't know who I really, who I really know here. I, as I say, I'm so grateful for their, their honesty and to, to say that. And I think, in a sense, the fact that we're willing to say that meant, you know, I feel safe to say that. And so I hope they felt, even in, even in saying that, that actually they belong. And they very much do. I was struck. Because I would have said, oh, they're, they're fine. They're, they're in. They're sorted. And yet they were saying, no, I... I often don't feel like I am. And it got me thinking that if these people were saying that and feeling that, I wonder who else here in, in our church, which kind of lazily, not lazily, I mean just in, the, in a general sense, we're good at welcoming. People often tell me, oh, it's really welcoming. You, people come in, I feel welcomed. 
And he's just kind of that sort of, well, this is good. I want to belong here. And I sort of assume that that, that extrapolates on and that therefore people, everyone is welcomed and, and starts to belong. That, that, that they are befriended and that friendship is authentic and real and meaningful and substantial. But I began to ask myself, to what extent is that actually the case? And I, I, I share that, I sort of share that just so that we can all be in on this. That in order to have an a church of authentic relationships, we will, we will all of us need to pursue them with a view to deepening them. Not just that I know your name and what you do for a living, but um, who are you? And how are you? What's causing you to celebrate? When did you last get angry? When did you last cry? When did you last laugh such that your sides ached? What are you fearful of? What gives you joy? Those are the kind of questions that you can throw into an acquaintance. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. To develop the relationship, to deepen the friendship, to, to make it authentic. I, I would love that if we, if, we, if we go for this priority through the year, that we get to this time next year, and we can kind of say to ourselves, there is no one... Who, who, having come along for a little while, no one who's tempted to feel lonely or on the margins or outside. That, that this is a church that is marked by deep and real and meaningful and sustaining friendship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Just as Luke looked at this, he looked at this and thought, wow, what's going on here? Well, I would sum it up like this. And one of the things he'd sum up the early church, they devoted themselves to fellowship. There's something about the way in which they have interacted and engaged with one another that it just looks devoted. It's intentional. If, if Luke were to visit us today, is, is that what he would say of us as he hung around us? Are we devoted to pursuing and deepening authentic friendships one with another? And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I, I, I'm going to finish with this. Um, the, the challenge that we, I, I want to lay before us is this, as, 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 among, in and through these priorities, I kind of want to, I kind of rather zealously and, and, and sort of jealously, I want to hunger after that, that little throwaway line from Luke, the Lord added to their number. Kind of, it says to me that the Lord, he looked at that church, the early church, and it began to spread out and, and grow. And he went, I, I, I like what I see there. I want to keep, I want to save more and more people in on this. I'll usher them in. I want them to be part of that. The Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. I, I, I would love us to grow in terms of our maturity to grow in terms of our rootedness, to grow in terms of our relationships, to grow in terms of our impact for the local community. And, and, and as part of all that, I'd love us to grow numerically. 
And here's, here's why. It's, it's a kind of rational thing. But just let me just run this out with you. Broadly, 5% of the nation's population attend church on anything like a regular basis. And we're going on sort of counts of number of people baptized or have their kid in the brownies or whatever. So when I say attend church, that's not the same as saying they're all born again Christians. 5%. So 95% of the population don't have anything to do with church. Our parish, we're kind of, we're a church in the Church of England and every church has a, a patch, a kind of space that's theirs. It's kind of a nice theory that um, every single square inch of the, church, of, the, of the land is covered by a parish. So every single square inch, every single living soul uh, has, in theory, has a church kind of responsible for that person. We have a, a parish, if you want to know what it is, out of interest, it's on that map at the back. It's the yellow shaded area on the map on the wall right at the back. And in that parish are about 7,000 people. So our, we are, or I am, the curate, by the way, the term curate, which is what Lydia is, comes from the expression cure of souls. So, so I'm ultimately responsible for the cure of souls, the care of 7,000 souls. 5% of 7,000 is 350. So if we're content, that's a big if, if we're content with the national average as it is of 5% attendance, then in the bit that God has given us through the auspices of the Church of England, our patch, we would look for 350 to be regular worshippers, regular attenders, um, plugging in, pursuing and deepening authentic relationships. Now we have about, there's about six or seven wonderful people on average at the 8.30. It's great service. You want to um, add to the number and lower the average age, you're really welcome to come. It's a great service. I love it. I, it sets me up for the day. I, I really, I genuinely really love the prayer book service at 8.30. Uh, 10.30, we have, I don't know, about 60, 70, 80 um, adults and children. And we, we've, we're hovering around about 100 here. So on a, on a Sunday, across the three services, it's about 180, 190, maybe. In other words, we are, at the moment, St. D's, rocking and rolling St. D's, all these things going on, great church. We're below average. We're below average. And the average, don't forget, is 5% of the population. How are you feeling? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I can beat myself up with this. Um, I, I don't want to do that. But there's so much. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, but the, the laborers are few. We've got amazing laborers here. We, we, and we, are, we are amazing. But there's the challenge. And I, I would love us to be kind of an inviting church and a receiving church and, a, and an a, accommodating church. Come on in. Come on in. Come and, come and join our group. When our group gets too big, we'll, we'll, we'll divide it. We'll split it. We'll plant it so that there can be even more groups for people to join so that they can taste genuine, authentic friendships. Come on Alpha. Come and uh, help with the night show. Come on the recovery course. You want to help with the children's team? Can you play a musical instrument? Do you enjoy praying for one another? Pastor, whatever it might be, get involved with what God's doing so that we grow. As, as a commitment, just so you know, um, four of us on the staff are going to a course run by the Bishop of Islington, Rick Thorpe, on um, church growth. 
and uh, it's kind of how to break through the kind of ceilings. Because numerically, uh, although lots of things are going on that thrill my heart, uh, things are, are developing and growing. I mentioned the recovery course. I love that that is the way Lauren set that up, the leadership and, and the way in which that's meeting people. I love that. But numerically, we've been sort of, we've kind of plateaued numerically in the last year, year and a half. And I, so I'm going on a course, I want to be helped to, to do whatever we can to grow the church. I'm not just so you, you know, I'm, not, I'm not like a mega church. If we got to about 300, that would feel about right, I think, for the size of the building and you know, realistically in this area, we're, not, we're in a residential area. If we were sort of 2,000, or like, I'm not looking to be an HDB here. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be appropriate in this context. HDBs, you know, it's, 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 it, it, and St. Helens and some of these other big churches, they're right for their context. They're gathered churches. You, you go to them, you get filled up and then sent out perfect. Here we've got a responsibility to our community. We've got, if, if nothing else, we've got a responsibility to our neighbors there. Just, you know, imagine several thousand people pouring in and out. I don't think that's appropriate. So if you feel that God is calling you to be part of a church of thousands, you're probably in the wrong place here. And please, go with our blessing. But I, I do feel called to be a little bit bigger. I'd love the side aisles filled, as it were, and we go to the back. And just when we worship, poof, sometimes it feels like we lift the roof off. And there's just so many people to pray, and there's a queue to join the children's team, etc., etc. And all of that will come, I believe, if we are intentional about our relationships one with another. Several times Luke says, um, you know, anyone who had need, they, they, no one had an outstanding need. We will discover our needs amongst ourselves as we pursue one another. What do you need? It may just be a, a, just a word of encouragement. It could be some financial support. It could just be just genuinely friendship. I, there are, you can be lonely in a crowd. You can certainly be lonely and bewildered and disorientated in this whirlwind of a city. Maybe it is that the need is just friendship. And we can meet that need. So that a, a modern day Luke would say of us, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They pursued and deepened authentic friendship so that no one was in that need. Is that something that excites your heart? Is that something you, you, you kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. I'll stand with that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Why don't we stand together?